In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Slow the testing down. Remove him from office. No justice, no peace. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The Betches Sup Podcast. Will you Who shut is up, your man? Listen. Hello, and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And the Betches Sup Podcast is your daily rundown of all the craziest shit going on in the news, brought to you by your two funniest friends. Which is us. Which is us. Happy Thursday, Caitlin. How's it going? Happy Thursday. Well, I think it's the perfect day to be inside cuddled up. Glad I got my early voting done yesterday. Yes. <laughs> How'd it go? You had an easy time, it looks like. I did. I I did tweet that out that I, I basically, I walked up, which was like a 15 minute walk. And then, um, got online and the line was like up the block. It was, it was yeah. a long line, but they were letting people in about a dozen at a time. So it moved pretty quickly um, from my perspective anyway. I think yeah. I spent about 15 minutes online, maybe 20. And then I was in and it took another like 10 minutes after that. And then I was, I was handing it over to the machine and having it processed. It was so exciting. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. I that's one so mistake cool. on my ballot. I did not vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on the working families line. Is, is a third party that needs ballot, like merges with Democrats often to gain ballot access. So if you vote on their line, it gives them, um, uh, it makes it easier for them to maintain ballot access and and party stature. That's great because somebody literally today asked me that question. I realized I did not know the answer for why that was beneficial and if there was any negative effect, which would be subjective, of course, but there's none no matter what. Yeah, It it counts the same as if you had voted for on the Democratic line. It just means that this tiny party that's like really, really working, like worker focused gets, uh, gets a little bit more support to stay on the ballot and maintain their party structure. Um, which are like overwhelmingly like a 99% overlap with Democrats, but occasionally yeah. you'll see someone who's running separately. So important stuff. Yeah, makes sense. Today is also the four year anniversary of the Comey letter. We are that close today. <laughs> Circulating was the, I know the front page that the New York times or not, I guess it wasn't there. Fault. I mean, maybe it was, they didn't have to cover it. If there was a Comey was- letter today, I might be quiet. <laughs> No, I mean, I think that fundamentally nothing shows the difference between these two election cycles against the same person, like the the difference in the call me letter and how it how it was covered. First of all, that there was one. There shouldn't have been one. He knows it. We all know it. We knew it at the time. He was told that at the time. It was all understood. And I, I don't think we should ever, ever, ever under any circumstances forgive Jim Comey for what he did. Like, He's a terrible person. Like, 
Uh, of all the people who had a choice and in in it, he had the most clear, distinct decision to make. And he could have just waited until after Election Day and he did not have to do that. Or he could have offered more clarity and just been like, there's nothing. We're, we're going to wait until we can verify the contents of this laptop before we send anything mm-hmm. out. Right. Exactly. There's literally like 80 different options that did not do this thing to Hillary Clinton. But he hated her so much. He felt that that was an OK thing to do. But hey. What is he going to do? What I mean, is he going to do? What's like, worse that could happen? <laughs> right. I know. Did you see that, like, it came out that, um, I guess, Comey's wife had told him, like, don't do this. You can't do this to her. Like, you cannot do this. And he fucking did it anyway. Moral of the story is listen to your wives. Um, I would say wives divorce husbands who don't listen to what the fuck you say. Because That's true. She should have just been like, if you do this, I will blame you if she does not wait. Like, if anything happens that that irreparably damages us. You are no longer married. You will not see your kids. That, that was, I feel like that's a completely rational thing. Yeah, that story, that headline, the only thing that would be better is if that headline was Comey's ex-wife. Exactly. Uh, also, just because we're talking about traumatic anniversaries, I saw this morning that Georgia Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler, who was like, oh, man, She's the worst. I want to say words about women that I don't say about women when I think about her. But she said that she is not familiar with the president's statements about openly sexually assaulting women. She was asked about this statement. The le- the Nobody no- doesn't know about the Axis Hollywood tape. And she has hitched her wagon to Trump so strongly. And she is not familiar with those statements. The frequency with which Republicans are unfamiliar with what the head of their party and the president of the United States says on a regular basis, you might wonder if they are actually composmentis for the purposes of their job. I mean, if I had those kinds of memory gaps, I'm not quite sure if I would be able to make it day to day. And that's okay for you not to be able to make it day to day. You know, like there's no judgment on on not having that kind of strong memory. But maybe you shouldn't be a United States senator. If uh, well, you're having I mean, trouble remembering things that were documented very fully and uh, brought up on a regular basis. Yeah. And as we know, Kelly Loeffler was not elected senator. Georgians have an opportunity to elect two new senators on Tuesday, which will be super exciting. All right. So let's get into our big I'm excited for Georgia. I'm going to be watching Georgia, North Carolina, really close and Texas. I'm excited for all of them. But I feel like one of those at least could give us some some joy on election night. Here's hoping. Yeah. Well, no, because we just had, as as we're going to go, we just found out that North Carolina can count votes for up to nine days after the election. Yeah, so that's true. I'm trying to mentally prepare for not having results on election night. And I think because of the sheer scale of mail-in ballots, Texas, I believe I went and checked every, uh, every state's um, records. Texas won't start counting ballots until the morning of election day from what I'm aware of. Yeah. There's a lot of swing states, a lot of big states that are simply not going to start counting ballots even. They're not even given permission to legislatively to do so until the morning of election day. The sheer scale of what we're seeing right now means that the count's not going to be done by 8 p.m. local time. Like, it's Right, just, and yeah, yeah, as we're hearing about like the unprecedented levels of early voting, like you're hearing like 70 million, those numbers include the mail ballots, I believe. So that means a lot of work to be done. So we've been talking about these SCOTUS cases all week. Hopefully you're able to differentiate them. They are all quite similar, but basically where exactly where we were. 
The Supreme Court is going to allow North Carolina to count votes for up to nine days after the election, as long as those ballots were postmarked by Election Day. The thing to keep in mind as you're hearing this and as you're trying to argue with Republicans who are saying don't to, not to count votes is that all votes pretty have to be received by Election Day, pretty much with the exception of, or or postmarked or likely postmarked. Nobody is saying that, like, on Election Day, you should send your ballot in the mail. That's not what's going on. The court preserved a similar ruling in Pennsylvania. They're going to allow the counting of ballots received up to three days after next Tuesday. And this is the one where that's even if there is no legible postmark, which I read as, you know, you shouldn't be disqualified from your vote being counted just if they can't totally make out that it was sent on the third. So this is the one that's got us deadlocked on last week that Elise and I talked about earlier this week uh, that Republicans asked them to hear again after Barrett was conformed to the court. So Barrett did not participate in either of these rulings yesterday. The court said she just hadn't had enough time to review the cases and they needed to have a prompt resolution, which made me think that she hasn't had enough time to be a justice either. She's 48 and has barely had any legal experience. After this episode, you're going to hear an interview with me and uh, Pat Timmons Goodson, who's running for uh, the House in North Carolina. She's a judge for 28 years and she was nominated to be on the federal branch, but Mitch McConnell held it up for two years. She had decades and decades of experience, and McConnell wouldn't put her on the federal bench, but she probably wouldn't say this. I said it. She has more experience than than Amy Coney Barrett and should be there. Um, but you never know. Biden says he's going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court, so I would put her on my list. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift, because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. 
That's newly with two U's and enter the code feverdream 20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code feverdream 20 Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So the Pennsylvania case involves a question of whether the state Supreme Court can override voting rules set by the state legislator and let election officials change some rules, which is a little bit tricky for the Supreme Court because normally the Supreme Court is really deferential to state Supreme Courts. However, some of the justices are saying in these cases that the federal constitution gives the power to make election laws to state legislatures. And as a result, you can't just have election officials change the rules. So Pennsylvania, as we said, this case isn't over. The justice just declined to hear it again really quickly. They could hear it again, which is scary. So Pennsylvania election officials have been asked to segregate ballots they receive during this three-day period where they will have a grace period and they'll be accepted. So before we discuss this, let's listen to a quick clip of how our president reacted to the idea that Americans will vote and those votes will be counted. Hopefully, the few states remaining that want to take a lot of time after November 3rd to count ballots. That won't be allowed by the various courts, because, as you know, we're in courts on that. We just had a big victory yesterday in Wisconsin on that matter. So hopefully that won't be happening. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah. uh, I mean, this happens all the time from like a, an evidence perspective, like, Mike Pence straight up said that they're putting Barrett on the court to decide the election. Like they are telling us, they say all the time that like they want fewer votes to count. This has been a Republican party hobby horse for decades, decades of voter suppression. And even before, um, even before Goldwater took over the party in 64 and basically removed Black people and liberals from the the conservative coalition, from the Republican coalition, um, there was the voter suppression tactics that they used are extremely in line with the voter suppression tactics that were used against Black people throughout the South, throughout Jim Crow. So, I mean, it's important to recognize that Jim Crow ended like 50 years ago like it's not young it's not like this right. this period in our history is very young um and so we we do need to keep in mind that like these suppression tactics especially like throwing out ballots challenging them questioning whether or not they're legitimate um poll taxes literacy tests these are all ways of of keeping the vote suppressed so only the people you want in get in um, so there, this is, this is something that they're, they've been doing, but, you know, obviously Donald Trump says it straight up out loud. And I think the only frustrating thing is that it doesn't change how we talk about elections. Like we're still hearing a lot of horse race electoral stuff from mm-hmm. people who cover elections. So when you're not listening to us, which you should always do, <laughs> um, you're getting this information that treats this whole situation like it's a legitimate battle of ideas between the two parties. And it is not. It is a threat to how we represent ourselves and how our our politics represents the ideas and needs of its people. And so that's why I worry about election night. Um, 
from this perspective of having results, because likelihood is Republicans are going to take a few million ballots, especially in key states, and basically refuse to count them. If you like try to segment them, you're going to see um, every they've already segregated them in Pennsylvania. And that's actually the, one of the tightest races. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Florida is allowed to count way early, which is amazing to me. How do they always end up with like a giant snafu? I know. They've been counting for like 40 days. (laughs) They have, they have three weeks before the election to start counting ballots. And they, it's still never, never does it go well in Florida. I just, it kind of baffles me. I'm just here being like, wait, what? They, they have amazing election rules and it's still terrible every time. So I'm really worried. Those are the two big ones. He can win every Hillary Clinton state flip Pennsylvania and Florida and that is the election right there I know we're excited yes. about lots of other things and I hope it's a big sweep I hope it's Georgia North Carolina what t- you you just Texas. said you just said Florida and Arizona Florida yeah. and Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania so yeah those are that's a reason why Pennsylvania in particular is so focused on and their Republican legislature is super focused on trying to screw the voters out of representation yeah. that's the key well, it's literally the Keystone State, but like it's also <laughs> the key to a Biden victory. If there's yeah. if he can't win Pennsylvania, that's probably I mean, he has to start winning other outside states in order to make up that difference. Yeah. I mean, when Trump when they called Trump for Pennsylvania in 2016, that's that's when we knew. I mean, we're talking about the blue wall and it's like I think. Michigan has like 12 and Wisconsin has like 10. They're both in that range. But Pennsylvania, she's got 20. She's got 20 electoral votes to give out. So that is definitely the big one. I think also, yeah, yeah, Florida, you're right. I keep hearing like we'll hear that one early, but who knows? There's probably going to, it's going to be a mess. And there's a united Republican government in Florida. Reminder, the fuckery is always afoot. Yeah. With them. First of all, it's always a foot anyway. Like I've never seen Florida pull their shit together. Like that's just we've been (laughs) in any fashion. In any fashion. Like Florida's gonna go early. The only time it happened was 2008. And that's because everybody was like, well, it doesn't even matter. Florida didn't even matter. Like that night we were all like, Indiana. Like we were watching things go blue that had like not gone blue in like decades. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it'll be a crazy night. So I wanted to touch on one more topic that it seems callous to say that it refers to the election, but I wanted to see what you thought about it. Mm -hmm. So earlier this week, Pennsylvania police officers killed Walter Wallace Jr. in broad daylight as his mother begged them not to shoot. He was experiencing a mental health crisis. Um, for re- that his family asked for help with. For reasons that remain unclear, the officers did not have tasers. Uh, Walter Wallace did have a knife, but they did not have any other way to subdue him other than by killing him, apparently, in their in their view. So peaceful protests and more confrontational demonstrations have rocked Philadelphia since the killing. And yesterday, Joe Biden, or a few days ago, Biden and Harris, they released a joint statement reacting to the killing and the unrest afterwards. They said, our hearts are broken for the family of Walter Wallace Jr. and for all those suffering the emotional weight of learning about another black life in America lost. We cannot accept that in this country, a mental health crisis ends in death. At the same time, no amount of anger at the very real injustices in our society excuses violence. Attacking police officers and vandalizing small businesses, which are already struggling during a pandemic, does not bend the moral arc of the universe closer to justice. 
So, I mean, these, this is similar in tone to what we heard from Biden. I can't remember if it was a joint statement during earlier periods. I think it was actually, I think this is before Kamala was announced when it was in June and things were getting intense in certain places. This does mirror that. And now Kamala Harris has put her name on it. The question I had is, what do we think of this response? And do we think that this response would have been different had this not happened days before an election in a critical swing state? Well, these are two really good questions. So from the response, I did write about this uh, the other night and I did a really quick thread on it. And to sum up my thoughts, um, it is for me, it's problematic because and I might have made this maybe too much of a hobby horse. But my number one issue this election is white supremacy. I feel like I I really nailed it on that one. Uh, (laughs) Um. And so I've always been very leery of Joe Biden, who, if people can remember what happened in 2019, it's okay if you can't, time is an illusion. Um, But he said that uh, he defended Jim Eastland, whose use of the Mm -hmm. N-word as a United States senator was prolific uh, somehow. Um, So (laughs) he, he defended Jim Eastland, which is a thing he did in 2019, Okay, um, mm-hmm. a segregationist senator, and then he accused, then he, he asked for an apology from the two black senators, only, again, the third, the like fourth since Reconstruction, um, fourth and fifth I since I still can't believe that. To apologize to him for saying that it was kind of racist to be on great terms with a segregationist. He also, and this is much longer ago, gave Strom Thurmond's eulogy. Uh, we all know he's a terrible person, so there's no question about how awful Strom Thurmond is, uh, yeah. was. Um, so I, I've always been worried about his willingness to concede to white supremacy. And therefore, in this statement, it was a little bit jarring. And a lot of people on Twitter mentioned this, that he spent more time condemning the protests um Violent and non, well, he kind of, there's a little bit of lumping, right? Because that's the paradigm that Trump wants uh, between the the violent response and, um, or the uprising level response versus the more peaceful protests. And I think it's just rude to use King's words here instead of yeah. uh, riots are the language of the unheard. You know, if you're going to be taking over the situation, people want to know that you know, it won't come to this. And and frankly, you know, we're, we're getting murdered in the streets and there's only so much patience, you know, there's, and yeah, there, it took a lot of training for the civil rights movement to do what they did. Like there were multiple hours of nonviolence training to teach people to stop reacting with violence because your natural instinct when you are hit is to hit back. I know it's, it's teaching, but it's also like, unlearning in a sense your natural a human being's natural psychological reaction yeah and that's sort of the swing state thing yeah i mean do i think it would have been different i think it it's an election year and you can always uh, view it through that prism but i i find myself frustrated again that biden does not flip the script and this is something that democrats have not done for a really long time they buy into the framing and paradigms of their republican opponents rather than changing the nature of the discussion so that it is not about whether or not people are reacting violently to Mm -hmm. violence that is happening to them all the time there's only so much that you can expect people to take instead of saying hey you shouldn't react like this 
the answer should be why did police feel that 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 this level of response was the only way they could do it is why are they failing at this level how is this happening and why is it happening so frequently we've we can't even talk about how many dead black people happened this year accompanied by protests like it, the number of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd like these are just the top level ones we've got right. way more and that's a problem that that Biden is not changing the script on this yeah it's especially hard to read when you consider that like Trump is still in Michigan letting people chant lock her up about a governor who he incited like a, vi- a potential violent kidnapping of and people in Michigan are going to be able to they're allowed to have guns at polling places and clearly the president and his supporters think that people with Michigan with guns are justified in their rage against their governor who wants to keep them safe but people devastated by watching their community members get murdered over and over and again are not it's yeah it's clearly again, a yeah Hurts puts property over people, over human. And I think that it's important for especially Democrats because the only way we're going to be able to fix problems, and this is my major concern, I was never worried about whether Joe Biden could win the election. I've always been worried about whether he could govern afterwards. Whether or not he wins, it really depends on how much theft is involved. Yeah. Totally. Because it's not like he doesn't have the votes. Hillary had the votes. He has the votes. It was 70,000 in three states. It was not a huge jump to get over. And fortunately, no Comey letter, right? Yeah. But the problem is, can you actually do the thing that you say you're going to do? Because if you can't, if you're not actually running on a platform to fix problems, then when you, you all the political capital that you're getting from white voters who are buying in is not going to stay with you if you say, oh, but I'm here to fix problems afterwards. And they were like, that's not what we heard. What we heard was we're going to go back and we can't go back. We cannot go back. That is just fundamentally true for black voters. It's fundamentally true for the country now. We can't go back. So we need Joe Biden to open up a dialogue about where we're going forward to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as soon as he gets in there, he's going to, if he wants, I mean, we don't know if he's going to want to run in 2024, but he will shape the the sort of perspective, I'm sure, of whoever does. And that person is going to have to answer for these questions that we're asking now. Caitlin, next time we see you, it will be Wednesday, November 4th. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It's it's kind of crazy. There's just like this massive inflection point where we're just like, oh, is America going to be here? I know. I know. It's it's crazy. Okay, you guys stick around for my interview with Pat Timmons Goodson. She's running to represent North Carolina's 8th Congressional District. She was so fun to talk to. Stick around. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's Amanda. And today I am here with Pat Timmons Goodson, who is running to be the next congresswoman in North Carolina's 8th Congressional District. She has 28 years of experience as a judge and became the first black woman to serve on the Supreme Court of North Carolina in 2006. She was also nominated to serve as a federal judge by President Obama, which we will get into in addition to so many things you managed to pack into 28 years, which sounds like a lot, but even through reading through your bio, you've packed in quite a bit. So we're so honored to have you with us. That sounds just fine, um, Amanda. The uh, only thing that's uh, missing is personal stuff. I I am married. I'm soon to be (laughs) celebrating uh, my uh, 36th wedding anniversary, and we're the proud parents of two adult sons. Awesome. Cool. That's quite an accomplishment as well. 
course. So you've had quite a trailblazing career. You've been in public service for a long time. I'm curious what motivated you to run for Congress this year? Was there a particular moment over the last few years that really motivated you? Had you been thinking about it for a, a long time? What path led you here? The 8th Congressional District, Amanda, is newly configured. It uh, came into existence as a result of the gerrymandering lawsuit that the courts um, redrew the lines. And so upon uh, those lines being redrawn, um, I looked at and around this country, as many of our citizens uh, have, and concluded that we were moving in the wrong direction. And what's worse, we were moving at a very rapid uh, rate. And I believe that and, and understand that our citizens can only select their leaders from those uh, who offer themselves. And uh, with that, I said, um, we need new leadership if there's going to be any chance of uh, changing the direction in which our country is headed. Uh, and uh, I have offered myself uh, with that in mind, making change and moving in a, a new direction. That sounds really similar to, I was reading about how you decided to become a lawyer. And I think you had said that people around you, you just often heard them say, I need a lawyer. So it sounds like you've always like responded to the needs you see around you. And this is no different. This is absolutely uh, no different. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about your district and why your opponent is not serving its needs? Absolutely. Uh, the 8th Congressional District, in my mind, is a microcosm of North Carolina and our entire nation. Um, we go from the coastal plains in the east uh, all the way to the, the suburbs of uh, Charlotte in the west. Um, some of our communities are doing quite well. Uh, others are doing okay, and then still others are absolutely struggling just short of... Um, drying up, if you will. And so we need uh, to make the kinds of changes that will allow us to um, get those communities and to get this district moving again. And so um, I am offering um, myself in that regard. You know, we have um, some folks that are, as I said, really struggling and there's struggling not because of anything that um, they failed to do uh, with this pandemic. Um, they are uh, unable to continue to support their families as they once once did. Um, it, it, it's really difficult out here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how has the pandemic affected you personally in addition to your campaign? I think you had announced your candidacy at the very beginning of this year. And then, of course, within a couple months, we were all sort of stuck at home. How has it affected your campaigning? Um, well, in terms of connect, uh, um, affecting our campaigning, um, we are not doing uh, yeah. the campaigning in the, the traditional way. That's for sure. Just like other uh, campaigns, we have had to. Uh, learn to call upon technology. And so uh, there is uh, the frequent use of uh, Google Meet and, and Zoom calls in order to communicate with both the citizens of the district and, um, you know, other campaigns. But I want you to know that the, 
while the, the manner in which we go about um, communicating has changed during this pandemic, what has not changed is the, uh, the goal. And the goal is always to introduce yourself to those that don't know you and then to communicate uh, what you stand for and your goals uh, for the, the, the district and for your constituents. And so that uh, has not not changed. It's just the way in which we go about doing it has changed. I would very much uh, have preferred to be uh, interacting directly uh, with the citizens of the district. And uh, to tell you the truth, I do miss the handshaking and the back slapping and uh, the other, the, even the um, kissing babies and mm -hmm. the other wonderful, uh, the, the interaction um, that goes with, with campaigning, but we're not able to do that. But we're not the only ones. Everyone, sure. every campaign has had to make this adjustment. Right, right. So I think a lot of us are looking at this election as a way to give Mitch McConnell a piece of our minds. You're running for a number of reasons that you've just listed, but for you, that element, I wonder, could also be personal. So President Obama nominated you to serve as a federal judge in 2014, but Mitch McConnell and North Carolina Senator Richard Burr blocked your nomination. What happened there and what what went through your mind watching Mitch McConnell since then stack the bench with now over 230 federal judges and three justices, many of whom have decades less experience than you? Um, I'm going to tell you uh, that it was absolutely one of the proudest moments of my life for yeah. uh, President Obama to um, nominate uh, me to a lifetime federal uh, judicial appointment. Uh, need I say that uh, I've never had a family member uh, nominated by um, a president um, for anything. Incredible. And so it meant a, a, a whole lot. Um, and to tell you the truth, it was disappointing. And um, it, it was disappointing. But, you know, it's always been um, McConnell's intent to block as many judicial nominations as he possibly could, uh, so that he could at a later time, fill the courts um, under a new administration, um, judges more to his liking. And so I can't change the past, but I can certainly be a part of uh, new leaders uh, that go to Congress that uh, are unwilling to play those kinds of political games and that will uh, work hard to get the best um, lawyers uh, into the federal judiciary that we possibly uh, can. And so we do have so many qualified candidates that are out there offering themselves um, and would offer a, a, a great judiciary. You know, we don't have to accept those that are found to be unqualified. We just don't have to do that. And in the past, we did not do that. And so I'm running to be a part of and to try to make some changes there. Yeah, absolutely. So you did, as you mentioned, serve as a judge for 28 years, and you were the first Black woman to serve on the Supreme Court of North Carolina in 2006 as a justice. How do you think that experience makes you a really good candidate to serve North Carolina's constituents? Well, um, to answer that, folks need to understand, um, you know, how judges operate. Uh, judges are, are trained um, to listen um, and to take their time to deliberate um, and to be deliberate 
uh, in their decision making. You are to gather all of the information. So gather all of the facts. You get an understanding. Make sure you have an understanding of the law. And um, and then you make your decision. Um, as a member of the Supreme Court of North Carolina, we call that a collegial body, meaning every single justice is involved in every single decision that the court makes. In order to do make the decisions, you must interact and listen and uh, work with the other justices. And so I bring that kind of background um, to the to Congress. And um, that's different, I believe. Uh, yeah. but, but we're also bringing uh, in uh, teachers and doctors, nurses, community activists, um, and now judges. Uh, so we're bringing in folks with a different perspective, uh, a, a, a different background from what we typically have seen in Congress. And I believe that's going to make a difference in our ability to get things done, the ability to work together and to come up with solutions that will um, help solve the, the problems um, of this nation. Yeah. And I'm, I think North Carolina voters also have an opportunity to vote in someone. You've had experience with this on the federal level too, because you served on the United States Commission on Civil Rights. And I'm sure that experience gave you another unique perspective on, on all of these issues. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I just, Amanda, I'm running uh, for Congress as, as, as fiercely and as hard as I can um, so that I can bring justice and fairness and, and opportunity uh, to the 8th Congressional District. Our citizens, all folks want is uh, a fair um, chance, an opportunity for their form of uh, the American dream. Um, and, and, and all of us don't have the same, same view of, of what that is. Um, but, but we need to be able to use our God-given talents uh, in order to pursue those things and uh, on a level and a fair playing field. And that's what I'm going to Congress to, uh, to work for. Yeah, yeah. So my final question, Tuesday could be a really exciting night in North Carolina. I'm actually sort of from North Carolina. I moved there with my family when I was around 12. So uh, uh, they still live there. I lived in Apex and they live in the Sanford area. And as you mentioned, it is such a microcosm. I think people that think North Carolina is a red state, through and through forever are don't know what the it's like to live there. I mean, there's so, such a range of people from all backgrounds and a lot of young people and a lot of people who are really ready for something new. So I think Tuesday could be super exciting from the presidential race to even a blue win in the Senate in addition to your race. How are you feeling? Are you excited? Are you anxious? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, all of the above. I'm excited. Yeah. I am anxious. Um, but I'm, I'm heartened by what I see we have seen long lines of, of people waiting patiently uh, to exercise their uh, right to vote. And that is huge in my mind. And I think it makes such a statement. I don't believe those folks are standing in line like that uh, to show and express their support for the status quo. Quite the contrary. I believe they're um, in line to vote for change. And that has me believing that we're going to have a great result um, 
come uh, Tuesday uh, night. Uh, folks are fired up. They're ready for a change. And um, I believe we're going to see one. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Thank you so much for taking the time so close to your race. Good luck until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Sub Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to sup at Betches.com. 